But God is good, isn't he? I'm glad I serve a God who is instantaneous. You can call on his name. And he is there in a moment. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And then verse 23 tells what happens whenever you follow this path. They changed then the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You look at those verses, you can see that this happened to people that even though they knew God, they chose not to worship Him. They weren't thankful. They became vain in their imagination. And eventually their heart is, becomes darkened. And they profess themselves to be wise when actually they're making foolish choices. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man. This sounds a whole lot like the 21st century, doesn't it? Look over now, if you would, to Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. Of course, the book of Romans written by Paul is just a, an incredible, incredible document. It's just a, an, an amazing epistle uh, where Paul deals with so many very um, complicated, I would say, but yet very revelatory issues concerning salvation and how God interacts with man and just an amazing book. Romans chapter 8 and verse 38. For I am persuaded. He's, he's working his way through all of this. And this is almost like a crescendo. He's talking about all the challenges that we have in our own flesh. And all the, the, uh, the variables that we face in our humanity. And then he works his way through 8. And it's just kind of like a symphony. As it's coming to this grand crescendo. Of the challenges that we have. The dilemmas that we have. And the power of God. And how all those things interact. Finally, he gets to Romans 8, 38, and he says, For I am persuaded, not I think there's a chance, not the odds are on our side, but I am persuaded. How many of you are convinced that there's nothing like serving God? Boy, I think every one of us in our walk with God, you have to get to a place where you're persuaded. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, aren't you thankful for that promise? I am persuaded that the things that I know and the things that I don't know and the things that I can see and the things that I can't see, they don't have the power to separate or to get in between me and an all-powerful, all-loving God. Isn't the Lord good? Now, verse 39, it says this, and this is the part I'm going to focus on, nor any other creature. And I want to speak to you this morning on this subject. The zoo is closed. Would you say that with me this morning? 
the zoo is closed. Let's lift our hands. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises of your word. I thank you, Lord, for this beautiful congregation of people, Lord, that have come together in this house. We've joined our voices together, our faith together. We've put it all here, Lord, to worship you. You're the common denominator that brings us all together. And I ask you, Lord, now as the word of God goes forth, that it would find good ground, that it would take root in our heart and in our spirit, and that, God, there would be a transformation that takes place from the inside out that only you can do through your anointed word of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The MGM Grand is a hotel resort complex in Las Vegas. It is the largest single hotel in America and the third largest in the world with over 5,044 rooms. In 1999, it opened a lion habitat where you could walk through a glass tunnel and see large male lions up close. Thousands of people would walk through the tunnel or they would stand and tap on the glass as these enormous male lions who sleep 20 hours a day would occasionally glance over and look at some overly excited tourist or a child who is tapping on the glass. And I have no idea what that lion was thinking. But I, in using my imagination this morning, I think that probably the lion just sort of looked over like, boy, I could eat you for supper so quick. It seems ironic that the lions prominently displayed in a glass habitat were just a few feet from the largest casino in the world, 171,500 square feet with more than 2,500 gaming machines along with 139 poker tables, all of them together in the same complex with the lions. As you walk down the broad aisles, the lions are on your left and the casino is on your right. And be honest with you, I'm not sure which one is more dangerous. In 2012, the lion habitat closed and the lions were removed. The casino is still very much in operation. A creature is anything that is created. We think of creatures as being living beings that are created by God like animals. And while that is true, we also, you and I as human beings, we create a lot of things with our minds and our emotions. And some of them sort of get out of control and start to control us. Our fears, our preconceptions, our preconceived notions, they're sometimes based on hurts, sometimes based on something that happened to us many years ago. They're very much a lion habitat that others observe, some from a safe distance and others up close, and we don't realize it, but the Bible even says that our, our lives are living epistles, and people see us and they watch us, and they wonder why we react a certain way, or why we did that, or what are we thinking? Sometimes these things that we create, these notions, these ideas, these 
belief mechanisms, these crutches as they were for our own physical comfort. They seem to soothe us for a while and they seem to help us, but before long they, they break out of the cage that we have built to hold them in and they start to run wild. My children introduced me to a, a movie that is a, a very funny, cute, animated film that's called Madagascar. In fact, I think there's been some sequels to it uh, since that point, but it's about a bunch of animals that break out of the Bronx Zoo in uh, New York and they flee to the country of Madagascar. And so they're all in this zoo and they're, you know, tired of just people looking at them every day. They decide they're going to break out. And of course, it's, you know, animated and all. And it's funny because it's from the animal's perspective. And here's a little clip of, of them trying to break out of the zoo. You know, maybe one of us should wait here. No, not now. This is an intervention, Melman. We all gotta go. What's the fastest way to Grand Central? So they break out of this zoo in, in downtown Bronx, and they, you know, they're finding a way to get to Grand Central. And of course, that little clip, I think they're trying to figure out how to go over the wall, and the hippo just, just busts right through the wall. And I can tell you, having been down in Honduras for uh, 10 days, that it's easy to feel like that hippo, like you just, you know, are uh, and you're going into a country and you got all these obstacles and you just think you got to throw your weight around. But you and I know that you couldn't just bust through a wall like that. But somehow the animals in this animated film, they figured out how to get out. Somehow the things that you and I think that we have contained, these things that our creatures, these things that are created from our own feelings, from our own emotions, from our own fears, these attitudes, these things that we've sort of embraced in our life that, that may not be biblical, but, but we just sort of learn to live with them and we think we have them all confined. And before long, we don't realize it, but they sort of start busting out and breaking out. And before long, the inmates are running the asylum and the prisoners are running the penitentiary and and the tail is wagging the dog. and Everybody loves a lion in the zoo until it gets out. And then it's an emergency. Some of the things that, that we created, we thought we could control. We, we kept feeding it, but it got stronger and then it got loose. Paul describes it in Romans chapter 1 that we read as vain imagination. It was man that did the creating. Creatures that are the responsibility of man's own making because we changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image that resembled a four-footed beast. It's our own imagination. It's our own creation. Much like the people in the Old Testament that struggled with worshiping idols that they had made with their own hands. We struggle with creatures of our own mind. You and I, we're not a part of, a, of an Eastern culture, so we probably don't struggle with worshiping a gold Buddha or a golden calf, but we have other things that we have embraced that has our attention and our thoughts and our emotions. And these creatures are things that we created, thoughts and feelings, 
perceptions that are not of God. They were created rather as a crutch for the flesh. So then that every time that we are in a situation that gives us an opportunity to trust God, but instead of trusting God, we create a straw man or we create a placebo or an emotional lollipop to sort of soothe our fears. And we feel better at the time, but that creature does not go away. It grows and it gets stronger. And the next time we face a difficult situation, instead of praying, we sort of pull out the straw man or we pull out that stuffed animal, as it were, and we foster fears and perceptions and attitudes that deceive us. This is what Paul was talking about in the book of Romans when he said, it's our foolish heart then that's darkened. You say, well, how does that work with us, pastor, you and I? Well, maybe you were hurt when your spouse left or a relationship ended. So you turn to a quick fix and you embrace pornography or an immoral relationship. That becomes the lion in the habitat. You were afraid of being alone, so you turn to all that society says that will comfort you. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's something that the flesh feels like will help them at the moment. You were angry with your parents and, and with your teachers and then with God, so you turn to some addiction of the flesh. You thought you could control these escape mechanisms, but they keep getting bigger and they keep breaking out of their pens and you can't contain them and you can't control them. They don't serve you anymore. You serve them. You see, my friend, sin never starts out appearing as what it's going to do. It always takes you further than you wanted to go and keep you longer than you were planning on staying. But it never starts out that way. It just starts out as a cuddly little cat. It just starts out as a little cub. It starts out as something that appears it can be managed. But it never stays that way. I was in uh, Zambia, Africa last year, and we had built a church there. We are actually building another church there in honor of uh, Brother Bill Baisden and Herman Baisden. and going to be dedicating that later on in August of this year. But when we went to Zambia, after the crusade was over, we went down to an area by Victoria Falls. It's called Livingston. And they had, a, they had a, um, a, 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 some sort of a conservation effort where they worked with animals. And they were trying to reintroduce them into the wild. So they had a project where you could go and you could walk with cheetahs. I walked a cheetah on a leash. I fed it water in my hand. Full-grown cheetah. And it just purred and had a big old motor, just hummed and purred. I laid down on the ground with it and petted it. And it just purred and it was just so happy and it licked my hand. It was like sandpaper. It would just lick my hand like that, you know. We went through the woods and it chased a few things here and there. When it took off, I'd let go of the leash and then it'd run around and chase something and come back. And, and they had a chicken on a big mechanical thing because they can run so fast. Cheetahs can run, I think, in excess of 60 miles an hour. And so they have this thing on a pulley and they chasing it, they're it, it, teaching them how to hunt in the wild, and it, and it zips down around, the cheetah runs and catches it, eats a chicken, so they're trying to teach it how to hunt, because it's been in captivity all its life, they want to reintroduce in the wild, they wanted to get used to humans, and so people can come, and so we did that, and we walked the cheetah around, I took him back, he, she was 30, it was a female, she was thirsty, and I turned on a spigot of water, put my hand there, and she lapped water out of my hand, I petted her on the head, said, I'm going to miss you, and I mean, just a few minutes, and we were attached to each other taking pictures and all that. And then after we got through with that, they said, you did so good with the cheetah. 
we want to take you to meet the lions. And I said, the lions? They said, yes, the lions. They said, we got a brother and a sister, and they're two years old, and we're getting ready to introduce them back into the wild, and they're just now sort of getting into um, going through puberty. They're going to be, you know, um, have to be released. They can't stay in captivity, you know, as they're getting older and stronger, and they're two years old now, and they've been raised by humans since they were cubs, but now they're starting to learn their strength, and, and so we want you to take them and walk through the jungle with them. I said, sign me up. So I got out there, you know, and I'm the female, you know, and she's playing around and jumping off a tree and petting her. And I meet the male lion. They tell me, don't let it make eye contact with you. You know, come up behind it. Talk loud so it knows you're coming. You don't want to surprise it. And, and I'm like, you know, okay. And hey, I'm here, uh, Leo, the lion or whoever you are. And, and the male, I mean, he knew he was the king of the jungle. He already, he walked, had that walk, you know. He'd, I'd walk through the jungle with him, and he was walking like that, you know. He already knew that he was powerful. And he'd walk through the jungle like that, you know, and he'd lay down. They had all these different handlers that were kind of with us to make sure, you know, the line didn't go crazy, which I was thankful for, you know. And, and um, we were walking with this line, and, 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 and then I'd go up behind it, and I'd pet its head, you know. And they said, oh, you're fine. You can sit down here. You know, I'm like, I'd rather stay on my feet in case i got to make a quick exit. They said, if that line wants you, it doesn't matter if you're on your feet or on your knees. You're not going to be able to get away quick. I'm like, that's not making me feel any better. You know? And they gave me a stick. That's all I had was a stick. They said, because they're cats, they want to play, but we don't want them to play with you because they're rough and powerful. They had a big old paw, you know, with claws in it. Like, and they said, when they want to play, just give them the stick so there's a neutral object, you know. So he'd, he'd want to play, you know, and he'd look at me and he'd have his claws. And I'd be like, my stick, play with the stick. Nice kitty, nice kitty, you know. So we started walking through the woods, and one of the handlers came up behind me and gave me the lion's tail. He said, they like for you to hold their tail. I said, I've always been told not to pull the tail of something, you know. They said, no, they like that. So here I am, Brother Eddie. I'm walking through the jungle of Africa with a lion. I got him by the tail. I got a tiger by the tail. No, it was a lion. So I'm walking, you know, and I'm like, yeah, nice kitty, nice kitty, you know. And he's walking like that, you know, and he's like a young teenage lion. He's, and he's looking around, he's smelling, listening, crouching, and all the things. That, and I'm walking by his tail, I'm like, yeah, good lion, good lion. All of a sudden, he spotted a baboon. And when he spotted a baboon, boy, he crouched down like that. I let go of that tail, boy. I didn't know what <laughs> he was getting ready to do. But I let go of that tail, you know, and he crouched through the bushes like that, and then Boy, he shot off across that thing and, rah, boy, he caught that thing and bit it in his neck and killed that thing. And I said, tour is over for me. I'm no more walking, no more holding tails. It didn't take me but a moment to get a shock of reality that though that thing was furry and, and purring and I was holding its tail and all that, it still had a nature to destroy they said well that's exactly what we wanted him to do I said what's that we want him to we want him to hunt and kill because we're getting ready to turn him loose in the jungle and we want him to be able to survive and to do that he's got to learn how to hunt and I said that's great I'm glad it all worked out now how do we get back to the desk and we can get out of here and they said we won't go and take you some big show you some real big lions so we went, they went and showed me some really big lions, you know, and had a big mane out like this and all that, you know. And 
I said, well, what are these doing? They said, these are too big for you to walk. I said, really? They said, yeah. Now, this one is a big, full-grown male lion. I said, what y'all going to do with them? And he said, well, we, we're not sure because, be honest with you, we've moved him to three different cages. I said, how come y'all keep moving him? He said, he keeps busting out of every cage we put him in. I said, how long has he been in this cage? He said, about three or four days. I said, you know what? I think I'm ready to go ahead and go on back right now. It's all fun and games until one of them things get out of its cage. It's all fun and games until they turn around. Boy, I'm going to tell you what, folks. There's a whole bunch of people that play with sin the same way. They think, well, I got it by its tail. It's going to be all right. I, I've been walking with it. I've been pet with it. I've gotten used to it. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to realize that sin has got a nature that wants to destroy you. Sometimes we think we can control these things that we have in our lives, but we've got to realize that we're not its master. It has become the master, and we're its servant. You've gone from being the zookeeper to being the next meal. And there's really only one solution, ladies and gentlemen. You have to close the zoo. There's only really one thing that you and I can do. And that is that you have got to close the zoo and you've got to kill that sin in your life. You got to get rid of it. You thought you could live with it. You didn't think it would affect your marriage, but it's affecting your marriage. You thought you could live with it, that it wouldn't affect your mind, but it's affected your mind, your attitude, your ability to worship God, your ability to be the man or the woman that God created you to be. And the only thing that you and I can do is to close the zoo and to get back to worshiping God with all of your heart. Oh, hallelujah. You got to quit feeding the creatures. And every time you turn to the creature rather than the creator, you feed the beast. Every time you worry instead of trusting, you feed the beast. Every time you get angry instead of forgiving, you feed the beast. Every time you harbor the hurt rather than putting it under the blood, you feed the beast. Every time you listen to the fears, rather than speaking faith, you feed the beast. Every time you turn to Facebook, rather than your heavenly father, I'm going to have to get down to specifics because y'all are not getting it yet. Every time you turn to Facebook, rather than your heavenly father, you are feeding the beast. Every time you criticize rather than intercede, you're feeding the beast. Every time you feed the flesh rather than to starve the source, you create a monster and you change the glory for an uncorruptible God to a corruptible creature. Something that you and I created in our own humanity that we think will help us, but actually it becomes our God then you find yourself getting distant from the things of God because the two, ladies and gentlemen, will not coexist. Somehow MGM figured out that thousands and thousands of tourists every day and lions don't coexist. 
And instead of waiting for something to happen and then responding to it, let's go ahead and be proactive and close down the lion habitat before there's a crack in the wall or in transporting the lion from one cage to the next it takes a hard left turn and gets out in the public and runs through the casino. We better shut the zoo down. That was probably the right decision. However, I would say that the lions are probably not as dangerous as the casino. Well, now, we ain't going to shut the casino down. It makes too much money. But isn't it a lion also? I'm not here to preach against casinos, though. I would tell you that you are wasting your money and your time and you're playing with fire if you involve yourself in any gambling at all, including the lottery. Because you can think you got the lion by the tail. You can think that you can control it. But that thing is based on greed. It is based upon a part of our human nature that is a destructible force. And if you feed it enough and if you play with it enough, ladies and gentlemen, there's a reason why they buy and build all those mega towers and hotels and structures. When you go there, you can tell that the person that owns the place is the one with money, not the guy putting quarters in the slot machine. People fly in on their 747s, but they leave on Greyhound. My roommate in Bible school, who I love very much, his wife went on Jeopardy and won like $60,000. She was smart. She was in our class also. She always was the valedictorian of our class. And she went on Jeopardy or, no, Wheel of Fortune. She went on Wheel of Fortune, got picked, and ended up winning $60,000. It was just enough to get my buddy addicted to the idea of quick money. So I called my buddy one time, Doug. I said, Doug, how you doing? He goes, man, I'm in Vegas. I said, what are you doing? He said, I've learned how to play blackjack. I said, Doug, what in the world are you doing? He said, I've got a system figured out. I said, what kind of a system? He said, most people that lose money at casinos are not very smart, but I'm smarter than I said, oh, God, help us. This is how it always starts. The devil convinces you you're smarter than everybody else. Oh, you'll never get caught. Most people get caught because they're dumb. But I can flirt around with this secretary, but I won't get caught because I'm smarter than everybody else. Let me tell you something. Your sins will find you out. I don't care who you are. If the president of the United States, I'm talking about Bill Clinton, if he got caught and he had secret service and guards and everybody at his disposal, what chance do you and I have? Oh, we got quiet now. Y'all must be harboring a bunch of junk. We got to close the zoo now. Some of y'all got stuff, you distance yourself from it, but every once in a while when no one's looking, you'll go over there and slip a little food to it and, and give it a little bit of nourishment. I'm going to tell you something right now. you got to kill that thing. you got to close the zoo. you got to quit feeding it. you got to shut it down and get it out of your life because you think you can't control it, but it's got a nature to destroy you. And the only way that you and I are going to be free is to say, God, I'm putting everything on the altar today. I'm giving it all to you. I'm going to say, Lord, purify my heart and my spirit and make me a righteous better woman in your sight because God will not coexist with your sin there's a reason why you come to church and can't feel God 
because you got too many animals you got too many creatures you got too many things that have not been put under the blood so you come to a Pentecostal church and you wonder why everybody's so excited instead of getting rid of the zoo and getting rid of the animals and getting rid of all the junk you know what we do we criticize what we can't get to on our own well I don't think all that emotionalism is necessary I don't think all that shouting jumping around is necessary. the preacher ought not to holler Y'all just stand up there and talk like he's got some good sense. Instead, he wants to stomp and snort and carry on. I had one fellow here in town said, I, I, I'd love to come to your church. I, I watched some of your teaching of your dad, all that on the internet, but I, I, don't, I don't like going to a church where, where there's somebody up front yelling at me all the time. I said, yelling at you? Don't you want somebody to yell? If they need help? If your kid is drowning in the pool, don't you want them to yell out? Someone, we've embraced this whole idea that silence is golden. It's not golden if you're in an emergency. You say, well, how come you yell? Because there ought to be some passion involved in us. Ain't nobody telling them to keep quiet in the NBA finals. Nobody telling them to keep quiet in the Super Bowl. Nobody telling them to keep quiet at the Daytona 500. That's different. That's sports. Well, guess what? I found something better than sports. I found a God that would set me free. Give me my life back. Give me my joy back. Give me my freedom back. We got to shut the zoo down. We got to break out of that and say, God, here I come. Because your word says that no creature can separate me from your love. Even the things I've created in my own mind. Sometimes we create things. They become creatures that live in our own little personal zoo. We create thoughts like, well, God would never love me because I've sinned too much. That's not what the Bible says. That's your own little animal in your own little zoo that you created. That's not what the Word of God says. Or we create some little animal like, well, I don't, I don't believe, you know, religion's all corrupt and it's all about money. All of these little animals we create. And we feed it, and the devil helps you feed it. If you leave it alone for a while, the enemy will come and feed it for you. I don't know what's going on with my dog, but every time I go out of town, she gets fatter than when I am in town. I know what's going on. Surely my retired next-door neighbor comes over there every night at 5.30 with her scraps. And my dog has learned that 5.30 sharp, I don't know if dogs wear watches or what, but she sits right there and waits for Shirley and Ron to bring their scraps over there. I took her to the vet, and the vet said, she's too fat. she got to go on a diet. I said, well, she's going to have to get in a line with the whole family. We all started walking. The dog was walking. We were walking. We were trying to lose weight, dog trying to get the dog to lose weight, trying to get her out running and so forth. 
Everything was going good. I went over to talk to Shirley. I said, Shirley, the vet said don't feed the dog. She's like, why? I said, she's too fat. She's going to die. She's too fat. Quit feeding her. She said, all right. Everything went along pretty good. I go out of town. I come back. I'm like, the dog looks fatter. I went over and saw Shirley. Shirley, what's going on with the dog? No, I've been good. I've been good, honestly. I haven't been. Then I was out of town a few weeks ago, and I come back early, and I drove by, and I seen Shirley slipping food over to the dog. I put the car in park and ran back there, Shirley! She's like, you caught me, you caught me, I'm so sorry. You try to starve out some fear or some hurt or some attitude that you know is killing you. But while you're away, the devil wants to feed it. What about this? Remember when you used to think that? Remember how that? Come on, feed a little, give us some more treat, give us some more scrap, give us some more food. And you thought you got rid of that thing, but every time you turn around, it seems like it's growing and getting bigger. I'm going to tell you how you solve it. Close the zoo. Close the zoo. There's some things, ladies and gentlemen, you just got to shut the door on it. There's some things you can't even allow to hang around your house. You got a problem with pornography? Get rid of your computer. Well, I never could do that. I mean, a computer, I need a computer to pay bills and Facebook. Guess what? This world functioned for a long time without computers. I'd rather my soul be saved and be a little less efficient. Good God, I wish I had a church to preach to this morning. Get rid of whatever it is that's causing you to be caught in a state of captivity. You gotta get that thing out of your life. You gotta cut the head off of that thing and you gotta say, God, I'm coming out. I wanna be free. I wanna be set free this morning. In Jesus' name. You can't worship when you're trapped in all this stuff because your own heart condemns you and condemnation. All this stuff comes in. Paul talks about it in Romans 8 and 7. He said, for the good I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. I find in a law in my members that's worn against my mind. He's saying, I got good intentions. I want to do the right thing, but there's something within my own members that's bothering me, that's causing me to fall back. I take one step forward, I go two steps back, and I can't seem to get out of this thing. Then he starts Romans chapter 8, verse 1, but he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's only one thing to do, ladies and gentlemen. You gotta kill the flesh and you gotta feed the spirit. And you gotta say, I'm gonna start worshiping God like I've never worshiped Him before. I'm gonna start loving God. I'm not gonna just play church. I'm not gonna just go through the motions. I'm gonna shut the zoo down to all of these addictions and all of these attitudes and all these fears and all these hurts and all of this stuff that I know is of me and not of God. I'm gonna put them under the blood today, right now. And I'm gonna say, God, I'm going to get back to worshiping you. I'm going to get back to glorifying the God that saved me. (laughs) 
I got to hurry. The first time they tried to move the ark of God, which represented the presence and the favor of God out of Kirjath-Jerim, it was in Abinadab's house. David wanted to bring it to the city of Jerusalem. They used oxen and a new cart, thinking they were giving it, I guess, the very best wheels you could have in that day. But this didn't sit well with God because it was not what he had ordained through the word of God. He had ordered that anytime the ark was moved, it had been established from the very beginning of when they had first received that ark of the covenant. And that thing had a specific order of how it was to be carried. It was supposed to travel on the shoulders of the priests, the Levites. Ladies and gentlemen, there are some things that you just have to bear. you got to get up under the burden of it. You can't delegate it out. You can't technology it out. You've got to get up under it and say, I'm going to stay at the altar until God sets me free. So they thought a new card and they thought, you know, a couple of their best oxen would work. But as it went through that threshing floor and it stumbled around, as one of the men there by its side, he put his hand up to touch it. It just had become so commonplace. Common to man, but it wasn't common to God. Immediately, Uzzah's life was taken. And word got back to King David, something's happened. As soon as he touched the ark, boom, his life left from him. He wasn't sick. He wasn't hurting. He just reached up casually to put his hand on the ark to keep it from falling off the cart. David said, stop everything. Leave it right where it is. A man has died. Something's not right. I've got to go back to God. I've got, to, I've got to find out what I'm doing wrong. He went back and he started studying the word. Wait a second. That's not the way the ark was supposed to be moved. So many times we think we have the answer, but if we'd actually go and read the Bible, we'd find out there's another whole set of ways of doing things than what we think. You know why? Because the Bible said there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What seemeth right to you is not always what is right. You remember that old song, don't you? Something about he lights up my life or she lights up my life. Debbie Boone saying, how many old timers I got in here that can remember? All these teenage and bebopping people, they look at me like I'm a, like I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> T-Rex up here. He lights up my life. Everybody just loved that song. It had such a beautiful little melody. He gives me heaven. Debbie Boone, Pat Boone's daughter. You know, Pat Boone was a gospel singer. Oh, this is such a spiritual song. Listen to the whole song, though. Well, there's one line that gives it away. It says this. How can it be wrong when it feels so right? Good God Almighty. That ought to tell you right there. You just go by your feelings, ladies and gentlemen. You make a lot of bad decisions. You just go by your feelings. How can it, I'll tell you how you know it's wrong. If it's against the word of God, it's wrong. I don't care how you feel. I got to get out of here. The next time he moves the ark, he's got the Levites carrying it. And every six paces, here's what I'm trying to get to. They would stop and they would slay an oxen as a sacrifice and they would worship. Now here's what I want you to get. The very thing that was carrying the ark the first time 
was now used as a sacrifice the second time. Ladies and gentlemen, the second time it came into the city of Jerusalem and David got out there and danced before the Lord. So excited. God has given us favor once again. Why? Because they closed the zoo instead of letting the oxen carry it. Oh, the Lord's talking to some people's hearts right here. Instead of letting the oxen carry it, they slew the oxen as a sacrifice. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what true worship is. True worship is about killing everything that you have been reliant upon other than God. True worship is when you put everything on the altar and say, God, I will bless the Lord at all times. I don't understand why I'm going through this. I don't know why my kid is sick. I don't know why I'm in a financial crisis. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked came I into this world. Naked shall I return. The Lord knoweth the way that I take. But blessed be the name of the Lord. The question for you and I today is what creature is carrying your ark? What creature is carrying your ark? What four-footed beast is carrying your ark? Is it your pride, your money, your reputation? The rich young ruler came riding up to Jesus on his creature of comfort. He was wealthy and a student of the law, but his pride needed to be slain. Jesus spotted what the creature was. You thought you closed the zoo, but you still got a big old hippo right there busting out of the walls. I can see it. Here's what I want you to do. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Oh, my goodness. The Bible says a man turned away sorrowful. Why? Because he had one creature he couldn't get rid of. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. No other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. You've got to close the zoo on that crutch. You've got to slay that oxen, that four-footed beast. You've got to give it over to God. Some hurt that you've been harboring, give it over to God. Nicodemus the Pharisee came to Jesus by night. By night. Riding on the creature of fear. Worried about his reputation. Worried about what his peers would think. Some of y'all come up in church this morning riding on that one. Well, I'm going to just go and observe, but if I'm going to get down there and get crazy get down on that altar and start crying and stuff God, what would my what would my peers think I tell you what I love I love when some of these Marines around here like Matt Mason and Dick Saez I remember when they got the Holy Ghost these guys are tough as nails I'd wait, you could wade into a a fiery hell with these guys with nothing but a water pistol. They'd be right by your side with you. Fought in Vietnam, gone through all the hell of war. I remember when they got the Holy Ghost. There was something that happened. The zoo was closed. It's not about what I think others think I am. It's not about my reputation. It's not about my pride. You gotta kill all that stuff. 
What my husband? What my wife? What my kids? What my parents? Kill it all and say, Lord, here I come. Lock, stock, and barrel. Give it all to you, Lord. Let's stand to our feet. I wish I had more time. I hadn't got to half of my sermon. You got to use the very thing that's been holding you back. Turn it into worship. You can't come to God under the cloak of darkness. It's what Paul did. He used the creature of confusion and misconception to propel him to become the greatest proponent of the gospel in the Gentile world. He didn't start out that way. His foolish heart was darkened. He was holding the coats of those that sluiced him. He was going into the houses of that little struggling new, Christ, new Christian church that we read about in the book of Acts. The Bible said he was making havoc of their church. Pulling them out of their houses. Getting all the legitimate documents so that they could be persecuted and even killed. Stephen, just a young preacher. Paul, whose name was Saul before he was converted, stood there holding the coats and saw that young man. Gave his heart to God. And even at the point of death, there was a glow about him. Saul knew there was something different about these Christians. So that when God knocked him off of his high horse on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou? He says, who art thou, Lord? He'd already been exposed. He'd already seen and known. He saw the effects that it had on everybody else's life. What it all came down to was a man that had to totally give himself to the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, maybe you're trying to balance a lot of things today. And at some point, every one of us have to come to a crossroads in our life you got to make up your mind I give it all to Jesus all my dreams all my fears all my hurts I give it all to Jesus I met a man in the airport down there in Tegucigalpa Honduras that from Costa Rica he's an attorney Costa Rica wealthy homes all over the world Homes in New York. He started telling me his story. He introduced me to his daughter who had been in Honduras on a mission. He's in charge now of all the applicants of Latin American countries that go to Liberty University. I noticed that he was witnessing to everybody. He's witnessing to the people carrying the porters, carrying the baggage. He's witnessing to the, to the cab drivers. Our paths crossed for a short time and I got to know him a little bit and I said, I just want to tell you, I admire you witness to everybody. You give your card, you share the gospel with every person you come in contact with. He said, Pastor, it wasn't always that way. He said, 12 years ago, I was an atheist, a wealthy attorney in Costa Rica. I didn't believe in God. I thought Christians were weak people. But he said, God got a hold of my heart. He said, I had, he said, Costa Rica, it's all about getting into the right school. He said, I had my daughter in the very best school in Costa Rica. He said, I had everything I could want, but there was still an emptiness. 
He said, when God saved me, I made up my mind. I wasn't going to do this halfway. I was going to turn it all over to him. He said, my wife thought I was crazy, but I took my daughter out of the best school in Costa Rica. And he said, I put her in a church school that was an ACE program. He said, have you ever heard of ACE, Accelerated Christian Education? I said, yeah, yeah, I've heard about it. He said, all my friends thought I was crazy. I pulled my daughter out of the best school in San Jose, Costa Rica, and I put her in an ACE school. They told me I'd lost my mind. I said, yeah, I understand that. I said, my dad played football in Pensacola High School and came out of high school, had six scholarships to universities all over the South. They asked him, which school are you going to go to and play football? He said, I'm going to go to Apostolic Bible Institute. St. Paul, Minnesota. So you going to play football? No. You got a scholarship? No. I'm going into the ministry. They all thought he was crazy. But in a few weeks, he'll turn 81 years old. He preached Father's Day last week in this pulpit. And if you ask him this morning, did you make the right decision, Bishop? He said, I made up my mind, son, when I went into this thing at 16 years old, I was going to give God everything that I had. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. God wants you to give him everything that you have. Not just a little bit of your heart, but everything. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed right now. Those of you that are coming to the altar, go ahead. You can come on down. I open this altar up, but I want to pray right now for this great congregation of people. I thank you, Lord, for every man and woman, every boy and girl that's in this building today. You love every single one of them, God. You died for every one of our sins. You gave your all, Lord. You as the great creator, the mighty God, you robed yourself in flesh. You became a man, Lord, so that there would be that sacrifice. And now, Lord, you see us here. We stand before you. You understand the frailty of our flesh, the limitations of our minds. And your love for each of us is undiminished. It does not falter with the mistakes we make. But it grows greater and greater. I'm asking you today, God, that you would help us. Help us as your people. Your creation that was created in your image, Lord. You would allow us, God, today to have the courage to put everything at this altar and to turn it all over to you. Because, God, you've given us a promise that there's no creature, there's no depth, there's no height, there's nothing present, there's nothing in the future, there's nothing in the past that can separate us from your love. And so today, God, we give you everything. I wonder right now if you would do that. If you're here at the altar, 
you'd lift up your hands and you'd say, Lord, I put everything before you right now. Those of you that are in the audience, I wonder if you'd lift your hands and your voice right now and you'd say, Lord, I give you everything. Come on, somebody. I'm turning it all over to God today. I'm going to kill that oxen and I'm going to offer it as a sacrifice unto you today, Lord. Lord, I'm tired of only giving you 80%. I'm tired of only giving you 85 or 90. Something's got to change. Something's got to die. I got to give you everything that's in my heart, Lord. Whatever it is that's holding you, maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your hurt. Maybe it's your fear. I wonder right now if you'd turn it over to the Lord. Would you lift your voice and would you cry out to Him and say, God, hear my cry today. And forgive me, Lord, of every sin, every thought, every attitude, every crutch that I have, Lord, that did not bring honor to you. I'm asking you, Lord, right now, take it. Take it, Lord. I won't hold on to it any longer. I give it over to you, God. I turn it over to you, Lord. said call out to him the Lord won't turn a deaf ear to you he'll come to you right where you are in the name of Jesus he'll come to you right where you are giving it all over to you God I turn it over to you, Lord. I give it over to you today, Lord. Oh, yes, Jesus. When 